Proceed 11 verses if your Bibles are open, starting with verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of them at all, or inquired of them at all by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord your God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me, and sets up his idols in his heart, and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself." I will set my face against that man and make, a sign, make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet and will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And They shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired, that the house of, the, that, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord God. Jesus, we just ask again over this time, this evening, your word, that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, we desire to just draw closer to you. We thank you for the warmth of this building on a cold night, but we pray that you would warm us by your spirit, open our minds, Lord, let us not only understand, but uh, to receive, to believe, and Lord, to apply these things. Lord, we want to love you above all things and not to have anything that would separate us from that relationship, that walk in the Spirit that you have desired for us to have. And we thank you for this time this evening, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. At the end of John's epistle, 1 John, the very last verse in John chapter 4, verse 21, uh, it, it's always caught my attention. Remember the first time I read, I'd gotten saved, and I read uh, all of 1 John. And, and John has so much to say uh, about uh, love and the commandments of God and loving one another. And if we don't love our brother, how can we love him who we've not seen? And, uh, and there's just so much rich uh, doctrine in the book of 1 John. But at the very end of John's letter, he closes with the 21st verse and says this, little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. After all of that, John says, keep yourself from idols. Everyone is tempted by idols. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, everyone has things. We talked about this, and this is why I felt like the Lord put on my heart uh, to start the year. I have no doubt that the Lord put on my heart to start the year uh, in Revelation chapter 3 with, remember, the dead church and the distracted church and the devoted church. The devoted church is devoted to Christ. The devoted church is devoted to the things of the Lord. The devoted church is devoted to the things of the Spirit. The distracted church is devoted to the things that God created, and then man has taken and made into other things. I mean, you think about every single thing that is an idol is something that God already created, and man has just refashioned, right? There's nothing in existence, nothing. If you worship the stars, God made those. If you worship the moon, God made the moon. If you worship a car, God made the materials that are in the car. You know, if you worship a device, if you worship a career, uh, God made the body that allows you to have a career. So every single thing is actually something that God has made, and that's why Romans chapter 1 says they worship the created rather than the creator. They worship the things that God has made 
instead of the things, instead of the God who made these things. And so John, uh, in his letter, at the very end, appeals to the church, don't get sidetracked and turn to idolatry. And, and in many cases, that'd be people turning back to idolatry. And idolatry, anything that would take the throne uh, of our hearts and, and displaces uh, the Lord's had made it clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First commandment, right? No other gods. No other gods before him. And there's so many things that all of us uh, that appeal to our attention and, and you know, worship is simply, you know, that that we're devoted to, that that we're bowing down to. Really what worship is, is bowing down. I mean, that's the essence in the scriptures. You see even, um, you know, Abraham uh, taking Isaac, it's that we're going to, he says, we're going to go and worship. That means they're going to go and, we're going to go and bow down to the Lord. Not just bowing down to the Lord uh, in reverence and submission, but even submission to the will of God. Even that uh, Abraham said, even if I have to you know, put my own son there on the altar, that we're going to bow down to the will of God, to the person of God, to the authority of God. Uh, speaking of children, children become people's idols. Wouldn't you agree? That, 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 that they idolize the very thing. Children are a gift from the Lord, but they're not to replace the Lord. And yet we see that all the time. Uh, anything. So anything God gives us, uh, Isaac was given to Abraham, but Isaac was not to become more important to Abraham than God who gave him Isaac. And yet that's what happens all the time. Um, I'll never forget, uh, was first time I was listening to Ray Comfort, uh, any of you have ever listened to any of Ray Comfort's stuff, and you know, he talks about uh, he had bought the family a new TV set, uh, and he comes home, and he walks in the front door, and he says, hey, family, I'm home, and, and no one turns around because everyone's fixated on the TV. And uh, he, he's like, this TV's going to be gone real quick if the guy who bought you the TV is now less important than the TV itself that he bought you. Right? He's like, I, I bought the TV to, you know, we could have some entertainment together, but if the TV now means more to you than me who brought the TV, we've got a serious problem. And so uh, the Lord, throughout the scriptures, uh, looks at you and I and looks at Israel and looks at the church and reminds that idolatry God will not tolerate. We want to take a look this evening at just, I don't have an outline uh, like I sometimes, well, often do, usually do, I should say. Uh, but I want to look at this in, in little sections. I want to start off with, you can write, you can take notes, because I've titled each of these little sections, but I don't want to, they're not three. I've actually got uh, several that we're going to go through. The first one that we want to look at, verse 1, uh, and I titled this verse 1, and we're looking at partially present. If you're taking notes, partially present. Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Now we want to get to uh, what God is saying here. But the first thing, what I mean by partially present. So if you, we've got to go back, back uh, to our Ezekiel study. If you remember, uh, Ezekiel, remember he was taken away to what would be modern day Iraq or ancient Babylon. So there he is in captivity. And many others uh, of the house of Israel were brought in captivity uh, matter of fact, quite a few that were brought over in captivity were of no, nobility, they were princes, they were the higher educated, and so the elders of the land, many of the elders of the land, not all of them, some of the elders of the land are still back in Jerusalem, and uh, where Ezekiel is, just as Daniel was also brought uh, to captivity, where Ezekiel is, there's a fair number of elders those that had positions of authority, be it government or community, uh, and they come to Ezekiel. It would be like Ezekiel is there and he's a prophet, but he also apparently would actually hold times where he's actually leading people in the study of God's Word, kind of like our Wednesday Bible study here. So they are coming as if, hey, we want to we hear from the Lord too. We want to hear what God has to say. Now, Ezekiel's already told everyone there plenty of what God has to say, and 
The question is, are they listening? Because everything he said so far is repent and turn, and you're not, God is not going to spare Israel. You're not going to be headed back home soon and re-inhabiting re your houses. Prepare to be here, but get rid of anything that is between you and the Lord. And so Ezekiel's already been very, very clear what God is saying to them. But nevertheless, they come and they are there uh, to inquire of the Lord. They have some questions. Uh, and the questions probably aren't all that sincere. Or if they are questions that are sincere, they still want God's blessing, but they actually don't want God. This is a problem. This is a problem oftentimes for us in the body of Christ. We want God's blessing, but we really don't want to walk with the Lord. We really don't want to walk in the Holy Spirit. We really don't want too much of the Lord. And so that's why this first, he says, um, they've, they've put they've, the, the idols that are in their heart, yes, they've come before me, but they're partially present. In other words, they're there physically, but their spirit, their desire is not with the Lord. They don't really want to obey God. They've already been given plenty of direction from Ezekiel. If you've been with us in previous studies, he's had much to say uh, both to Israel, those that are back in the land of Israel, the land of Judah, as well as to those uh, you know, if he's laying on his side or, or building a siege mount, all of these things would speak to the people in both captivity and back in Israel. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. We saw this in uh, the church of Laodicea, right? The Laodiceans were still going to church weren't they? They were in love with gold. They were in love with their prestige. They were in love with their possessions. They were in love with luxury. And Jesus said, I'm outside the door. I'm not even in the church with you. Behold, I stand at... He was on the outside. And to them, he said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, the Lord really is the same yesterday, today, and forever, isn't he? Jesus gives just as strong a wording as we see in Revelation 3 as we see here. But they were partially present. Yet, we want, we want to sit in Ezekiel. We want to know, I know you said that God wasn't going to change his mind, but uh, will he still bless us if we just kind of give him what we think is reasonable what we think is okay, and some of the things that we have. Uh, and, and beyond that, the Lord says, I see what's in their heart. Ezekiel may or may not know what type of bondage and idolatry these guys are in, but we know who knows, don't we? Let's look at the next part. Verse 3, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts, First, partially present. Second, I want to look at starts in the heart. They set up idols in their hearts. The idols are in the heart. Everything starts in the heart. Everything for you and I starts in the heart. Now, the Bible will use the mind and the heart synonymous. Whenever you see the mind, the mind and the heart, whatever is in the mind, whatever our mind is fixed upon, our mind and our hearts uh, are interchangeable in, in the scripture. But the heart of these men is bowed down to idols. Not necessarily visible to other people. It's been well, you, well said, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You won't fool all the people all the time. And I would add, you won't fool God anytime. He'll see every time what's really in the heart. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There's so many things that appeal to our flesh. Now, generally, when we think of lust, we seem to, in our day and age, we think of lust 
only as it pertains to immorality. But really, lust appeals to all the things. In, in essence, Eve lusted after the fruit on the tree that God said, do not touch. People lust after position. They lust after power. They lust after vengeance. They lust after control. They lust after immoral things, but they also just lust after possessions and acquiring things and attaining things and just having things. And Peter said that we would be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that comes through lust, desiring things that God doesn't want us to have. Now, lust, it, lust is not an object. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. Lust is in the mind and in the heart. Uh, it's the thoughts. It's the intents. It's the focused. You know, you can't touch lust. You can't taste lust. You can't smell lust. You can't hear lust. You can't see lust. But it's just as real as gravity, isn't it? It's just as real as gravity. And the lust of the eyes of desiring something, you know, when Israel moved into the promised land, you know, God had a plan for them to have perfect peace, a land flowing with milk and honey. God had a plan for them to really experience the goodness and the pleasure of God. And yet, they still would look longingly, going back to this had happened there before. Remember when Abraham and Lot, Lot looked on at Sodom and like, boy, it looks like they're having a blast over there. It looks like everything is fun in Sodom. They have the newest clothes. They have the newest cars. They have, fan they have fantastic careers. Everything in Sodom looks great. But if you could have told Lot, say, you don't know how this is going to end. But he wouldn't listen. Oh, it's going to be fun. I mean, what could go wrong? This city's on, they, they're on, they got the world by a tail. Desiring all those things. Abraham didn't go that way, did he? He's like, you can go that way. I'm going to stay here in the not as attractive land. Not as appealing. Not as appealing even to his own flesh and say, I must trust that the Lord knows what's best. And all the things that appeal to the flesh uh, that, that we desire. And in, the, in Israel, when they looked at those things that appealed to their flesh and the things they would desire, it would actually lead into literal idolatry, literal worshiping of gods, literal, uh, they would fashion things. And that would be uh, what idolatry looked like in those days, although they still had an attraction to the same luxuries and finery and all the things. But it's the same today. We might not have we might not have literally people bowing down to car, you know, graven images. They might not be worshiping deities. They might not be worshiping you know, goddesses and gods of, of the ancient world. But it's still the same thing. It's still the same lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, falling in love with things that take the place of God, that are more important, Lord. Temptation, it can come from anywhere. But the desire is cultivated in the heart. Temptation is going to be all around us. We'll never get away in this lifetime from temptation. I've mentioned it before. Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? Satan came to him, and he tried to, he tried to appeal to him, say, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. That's, that's a pretty big gift. That's bigger than a raise, right? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, the power. Now, of course, Jesus is going to inherit all of that anyway by following the will of the Father. All the kings of the world would come to him. It's what Satan's always doing with idolatry is selling you something or trying to sell something that God created that's all going to be folded up at the end of the age anyway. You want to buy this? You, you, you want to live for this? You want to give your heart, soul, mind, you, you really, you, this will bring you peace. This is what you want right here. And of course, all of those things will fade away. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then when sin has conceived, it gives forth uh, birth to sin, and when it's full grown, uh, it brings forth death. And he also says, To each one 
when he's tempted, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, his own desires. Now, the temptation may come from the outside, may come from our own flesh, but the desires of the heart of saying, I believe that these things will bring pleasure and peace, when God says, no, they won't. And these elders that come to, uh, that come to Ezekiel, in their hearts, they've come to believe. They believe themselves. They believe the Babylonians. They believe the nations around them. They believe what they've been told, that these things will bring us peace, they'll bring us prosperity, they'll bring us all that we need. Now, ironically, if those things are going to bring you all this, why are you there to see the man of God? Why do you need God's help then? If all of those things are supposedly what's going to give you peace, why are you bothering to step in in a meeting with Ezekiel and say, we want to know if God's going to help us out? Wouldn't those idols be all you need? Of course, they're not. The idols start in the heart. The desire for things in place of God or equal to God, or at least equal to God in priorities, nothing's equal to God. But in our priorities, we make things equal to the Lord, don't we? We've all been guilty of this. We've made things in our life, priorities that are equal to, they're not equal to God, but we've made them equal or a desire for things that are strictly forbidden by God. All of these desires, they start out as desires, but eventually, if we continue to desire them, they will become full-blown idolatry. It starts in the heart. These men, God says, I've seen their hearts. They're already bowing down to idols in their hearts. They're already, they've already given themselves over to idolatry. Maybe no one's aware of it yet, but they already, they're beyond desire. They've already given themselves over to idolatry. Look at what he says next. And put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Now we know idols or idolatry is iniquity, but he's saying the idols they were set up in their heart. And notice what he says. says the Lord says, these men have set up the idols. Next point I want to make. Take a note. Self-induced stumble. Self-induced stumble. Now, first we have temptation around us. Then we start to desire what the temptation is. We fixate on it. And finally, we would be the ones that would set up the idols. See, idols don't set themselves up. Careers aren't living things. Cars aren't living things. Immorality isn't in and of itself a living thing. We have to set up idols. Remember the children of Israel? They, they make it through the Red Sea. Glorious. They go from bondage. They make it to the other side. And then Moses goes up the mountain. And they don't know where he's gone. And he's gone longer than they think is acceptable. But really, it wasn't so much about Moses being gone. What was it? In their hearts, they were still back in Egypt. They were still in love with the gods. Some of them were still in love with the gods of Egypt. And so what was in their hearts, they desired something other than the presence of God. Remember, they had, they had the presence of God fire by day, cloud by night. They actually literally had the voice of God speaking to them. They had Moses hearing from the Lord speaking to them. They had seen miracles that even to this day are epic in the annals of all of human history. They had seen the plagues come down upon the Egyptians. They had seen all this. They had seen the power of God defeat all the gods of Egypt. Osiris and all the different gods of Egypt had been defeated. And yet the children of Israel in their hearts they missed Egypt a lot. They missed the food. They missed the fun. I don't know why, because they were slaves there, but nevertheless, something about it still appealed to them. Sin looked good from a distance. And so what started in their hearts, the desire, they ended up building an idol. They literally took the jewelry and took everything and crafted and made a molten 
pot of gold, and then they fashioned it into a calf, which was a, a prominent god of the Egyptians. And they set out to make it happen. It was in the heart, and they made the idol itself. Because you don't have idols create themselves. The temptation's there. But as the Lord says here, they set before them that which causes them to stumble. They themselves. You have to work at this. You have to literally set up the idol. You have to invest. You know, people that I, you know, parents that lose their kids because they sold their soul to their careers, that happens year after year, day after day, month after month, and they look back and they can see that they themselves set up all these traps. They themselves have done all these things. All the things that would cause us to fall into full-blown idolatry, we would have to ignore all the guardrails that God puts up and instead put in front of ourselves that very thing that would cause us to stumble. J.C. Ryle said, Beware of manufacturing a God of your own, a God who is all mercy but not just, such a God as an idol of your own. We don't just have idolatry of a fixation with things or fixation with ourselves or things that we desire that we begin to idolize, whether they be hobbies, whether they be people, whether they be our own children. All of those things can be idols. But also what J.C. Ryle is saying here is beware of manufacturing a God who's all mercy but not just. We also have to be careful that we remember, as Jesus made clear in the letter to the churches, he is a holy and righteous God And we don't fashion God to kind of mirror our life. That makes sense? Make sure that a lot of people's definition of God is directly related to how they want to live. God is kind of, he's okay with most everything. That's because they're okay with most everything. Now, you also can have this go the other way. You can have someone who is really, really legalistic, but that's their perception of God too, right? That, that uh, you know, God, God does not allow you to have a TV, period. Case closed. So you can have, I mean, I'm, I, I, this isn't to say that, uh, that you want to have a wrong picture. God is a loving father, but he also does not tolerate idolatry, period. And we have to be really honest with ourselves and the Lord, when we have things in our life that God says, that's idolatry, we can't say, I don't think it is, so I'm going to fashion you down to my level. And that's what we can do. Self-induced, stumbling, putting things in front of ourselves, trying to interpret God to match our life instead of allowing Him to drive our life and say, no, no, I'll look at you, and as I see you, I'll adjust accordingly, not the other way around. And that's really what these men were all about. They did want the blessing of Ezekiel. Hey, we want you to bless our life. We want you to know God's got our back. We want you to know he's going to take care of our family's back. But we, we have all this stuff in our heart you don't know about but the Lord knew about. He goes on, the Lord says, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. Verse 5 and 6, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. The Lord is not desiring to destroy, punish, cut off, which we see uh, here listed, these elders or anyone else in the house of Israel. The scripture is clear. The Lord says, I want to seize their heart. I want to take their hearts from idolatry and back to me. They're estranged. We talk about an estranged marriage, you know, that, uh, that uh, they're, they're not together at the time. Israel was estranged 
from the Lord. Why? Because they had exchanged their love and devotion for God for idols. Some in the heart, some was beyond the heart. They had gone into full-blown idolatry. But the Lord says, repent, turn away from these idols. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8, when Hezekiah um, actually sent letters to uh, those in the northern cities of Israel, bidding them to come and repartake in the Passover. You know, the Passover was, was commanded that Israel should every single year partake of the Passover, but they had stopped doing it. And Hezekiah, uh, he sent out and he said to the people, now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. See, God's desire was to turn his wrath away. Israel again and again had gone back to idolatry, back to, they just didn't really care what God wanted for their life. They didn't want the will of the Lord. They wanted their own ways, their own uh, will. And he said, look, the Lord wants to turn his fierceness away from you. He's sanctified you forever. Many of them actually uh, made light and, and had no desire to come down and participate in the Passover. They, they didn't do that. But the Lord's plan for Israel has always been, as we find in Proverbs 2.20, it says, so that you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. You know, God wants us to walk in the ways of goodness. Do we believe that? That he wants us to walk in the ways of goodness, that we would keep the paths of righteousness. I mean, every single day, that's why I've loved uh, uh, going through our... uh, Grace Changes Everything study on Thursday. Hasn't that been great, those of you guys that have been uh, coming to that? Reminding us that us walking in the Lord is but by His grace. And when uh, when we're tempted to sell ourselves, I don't mean sell our souls, I'm just talking about you, you, you see yourself gravitating towards too strong of an attraction to things that are not in and of themselves a sin. They're not in and of themselves a sin. Is it a sin to own a house? No. Is it a sin to have a career? No. Is it a sin to have kids? No. All of these things. God can give you all of these things. But you can see sometimes you have an over-attraction to it, and it becomes to the point that those things, you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read the Word of God. You haven't shared the gospel with anyone in the last, you can't remember when something's happened. That's why Jesus writes the letters to the church, the seven letters to the church. The first one he starts off with, you've left your first love. You love something else now. And then he gets to the place where some of them have gone into full-blown, I mean, they're in immorality, uh, they're in complete idolatry, their works are dead, all of these things. And that's why he writes, because you've left the place you were at. And the Lord says, I want to seize the heart. He wants to seize my heart. He wants to seize your heart. He wants to seize your children's heart. So your heart beats after the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to constantly get back by the fire of the Word of God, don't we? It's the only thing that melts it. In essence, the way I was chiseling out my car today is in some respects what we do on a regular basis, isn't it? We just feel the coldness. And Lord says, I want to I rekindle in your heart. You're estranged from me. You've kind of drifted away. You know, that song, the hymn that we sing, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Hosea 14, 9 says, Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them but transgressors stumble in them. We don't stumble in them because we believe in them. We don't resist them. We don't fight against the commandments, Lord. We really believe when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, deep down in your mind, deep down in your heart, you have to believe that. Now, sometimes we don't really believe that. And we'll catch it. I'll catch myself not believing that. Will you? And I know it's the Holy Spirit that catches me believing, because I'll actually have this voice I can't hear, but something asking me, do you believe that? Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Do you really 
Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that my words are the words of eternal life? Do you really believe that my words are life? Do you really believe that peace comes from me? Or do you really think you can manufacture peace by just creating a utopia life? Boy, I wish I could make it that not a single thing goes wrong. It'll never happen, will it? Peace in the midst of the storm, not peace because there are no storms. Peace in the midst of it. The righteous walk in these things. But the household of Israel is just like all the rest of us. They're human beings. They see, I mean, this is why Asaph wrote uh, in the Psalms, he's like, but, but the wicked, they have, no, they have no sorrow in their death. Uh, they get all the promotions. They get all the best advantages. Uh, every light turns green when they're riding down the road. Nothing seems to go wrong for them. Their dishwasher doesn't break down. They don't get flat tires. They don't have this, that, and the other. Their kids don't throw up in the middle of the night. All these things. Nothing seems to happen like this to the wicked. And that's Satan lying. I mean, just flat, bold face lying to people, lying to Christians. And they say, yeah, we, this whole giving time to the Lord, being at church on a Wednesday night, Studying our Bibles. My co-workers are happier than I am. And Satan just reeled like a, like a fishing rod, just reeling them in. And, but the righteous stop and say, oh, time out. Our, if our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world had to measure their walk with Christ based on their current prosperity, they should all leave the faith tonight. Shouldn't they? I mean... Total waste of time if you're in Syria, in a North Korean prison, or if you're somewhere in the middle of Africa, in the South Sudan, or something like that. Why in the world? But yet they believe that actually, they really believe a mansion is being built for them in heaven. And that they're right. They really believe they'll have a soul winner's crown. And they're right. They really believe that they'll be lavished on for all eternity by the love of God. And they're right. And so those things actually have them have the ability to say, no, I will not deny my faith and actually uh, recant my profession of faith and actually become a communist or a member of Islam or whatever else it is. I will not do that. I will not choose idolatry. I'll choose the Lord, even if it costs them their life. Of course, they'll be in the presence of Jesus immediately. And the Lord says, I want to seize Israel's heart to turn them away from idolatry, away from Satan convincing them that these things are going to make you happy, going to give you peace, and worse, that they're going to last. They won't last. But it is like many things in the Scriptures. God's not going to force them to come to Him. But there's going to be consequences if they say, we still don't believe you. We believe ourselves or whoever it is telling us this stuff. Go back to the garden. Eve did have someone whispering in her ear. True? She really did. She, did, she had really, literally, everything around her. So did Adam. They were equally guilty. They had everything around them, and yet they wanted the one thing God said they couldn't have. She's always idolatry. I want it anyway. Even though you said no. Last uh, couple of things here. Let's take a look um, what the Lord says in verse 7 and 8. For if anyone in the house of Israel or of the strangers dwell in the land, separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart. You notice how many times it says sets up idols. The Lord's again making it clear. Uh, and puts before him what caused him to stumble. Again, the Lord's saying, this is of your own doing. God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves there. They set up, they basically pave the highway all the way there. God can see every road sign. I used to have this discussion with my coworkers uh, when I was in the business world. I'd say, no, no, no. God puts a road sign after road sign after road sign. It says derail, exit, U-turn, you know, all this stuff. You have to completely ignore them all. But the Lord says if they continue to do these things. And, but then they come to the pro- uh, uh, The Lord really has a problem. I have uh, my next point here, cost of hypocrisy. The Lord, these are people, God's speaking more specifically to people that actually know exactly from the Lord what they should do. It'd be like somebody who's grown up, they've heard the gospel a lot of times, they've sat in church, they've been to Bible studies, they've done all the stuff that is what we would call Christian living, 
and yet they're still in gross idolatry, and they still want someone to bless them. And they want to have someone, uh, hey, I want you to give me a word from the Lord. Well, I'll give you a word from the Lord. You need to stop and get out of all that sin that you're currently in. No, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant just bless what I'm currently doing. And the Lord says, to this person, I will answer them face to face. In other words, he'll say, prophet, step aside. I'll handle this. Because they have now ignored all the previous counsel. Because Ezekiel's a man that's already been sharing the truth. The Lord said, I'll answer them by myself. Verse 7. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. In other words, I'll make an example. People will know that that man, kind of like Achan. Remember Achan? wanted to take things that the Lord said, do not touch, and he put it under the tent, and it was in his heart, it was in his life, and no one knew about it. But even to this day, we still remember Achan as a proverb to us all, do not think that you can hide your sin from the Lord. And, and then also think that you'll be blessed in the next battle, which they were defeated. But the cost of hypocrisy, the Lord says, I will... Uh, Cut him off in the midst of my people, then you shall know that I am the Lord. In Jeremiah 16, 12, it says, Each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart, so that no one listens to me. The Lord says it comes down to not listening exactly. I've warned you. I've lovingly warned you. I've reached out to you. And if you persist, and then on top of it, you have the hypocrisy of kind of putting on the fig leaves of religion or uh, Christianity. The Lord says it's going to be a very difficult place, and you'll find yourself in destruction. But we have to be really careful ourselves as well, and really look at our own lives, and to know that, that we're not living hypocrisy. You know, that the world looks at me, you're not in love with Jesus. Now, sometimes unsaved people will do the best job of assessing who we really are in Christ of anybody. And if you've ever had a family member call you out that's unsaved, and you know that they just stung in a place that they're correct, the Lord sometimes will use someone else to say, no, no, no. You, you, say, you, you say you love Jesus so much, and then they'll, boy, they, baby, you, know, you know they're watching every single thing. Leonard Ravenhill said, we've reduced God to a minimum. Most of us are trying to get to heaven with minimum spirituality. If we looked after our business like we looked, at, uh, if we looked after our business like we look after our soul, we'd be bankrupt years ago. The materialism has crept in, it's blinded us. It has become a way of life. Leonard Ravenhill said a lot of things. Um, Tozer said a lot of things. These guys said things. That I hear people say, man, I, man, I love Tozer's. I, I have a pastor friend that he cracked me up. He said, he goes, yeah, I have people say, man, I love Tozer's quotes. I love Ravenhill's quotes. And he says, no, you don't. You do not like their quotes. Because I, I guarantee you do not like their quotes. And you would not want them as your pastor either. Because those men brought it. And, but he's right. If we looked after our spiritual life oftentimes as we look at, if we looked after, looked after our business as we do our spiritual life, he says many would be bankrupt years ago, and it's exactly the truth. And the world can look on and say, you know, you say you love the Lord so much, but you don't love him any more than I do. It's just you go to church. And the Lord wants us to be careful, aware. This is why the Lord had me start off with Revelation chapter 3, that we truly look in the mirror of the Word of God, have the Holy Spirit showing us, hey, this is where you're really at, right? Lot and Abraham. Thankfully, Lot's actually in heaven. Isn't that great to know? That righteous man, Lot. But he lost his entire family, lost it all. Instead of winning anyone, instead of winning anyone in Sodom to Christ, he won no one not even anyone in his own family. Abraham, though, 
We are called, even in the New Testament, the sons and daughters of Abraham. There really is a difference between living the spirit-filled life and the minimum spirituality that Ravenhill is talking about. He goes on, last couple of things here, verse 10. I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet. So he goes on to say that the prophet will receive the same punishment as the one who inquired. Now this is a warning to people like myself that actually have a pulpit and have a ministry that God's given. Um, In John chapter 10, verse 13, Jesus said, "The the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The person that really loves you in life is going to give you the truth in love, not in self-righteousness, not beating you over the head saying, I'm really spiritual, you're not. But if we ever withhold the Word of God, parents, if you're going to withhold, imagine saying, well, I'm not going to tell my kids these truths of the Scripture because it's going to bum them out. Oh, so if they end up someday not wanting anything to do with the Lord, and we could have been, should have been, doing things to prepare them, and we didn't really love them. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But the hireling doesn't care. The hireling says, what do you want me to say? You pay me, what is my salary? Okay, what's important to you guys? Well, we want to be entertained. Check. Well, we want, uh, we, we don't want any services to go past 22 minutes. Check. What else do you want? Literally, there's people that, there are churches that have committees that essentially give, here's what we want, this is exactly what you want to do. Try give that list to John the Baptist. He'd rip it up in front of you, wouldn't he? Give that list to Peter. Give it to Leonard Ravenhill. Because if they really love the people, they weren't hired by the people. They were sent by the Lord. There's a big difference. And Jesus says, or in this case, the Old Testament, if the prophet is induced to say things that I didn't have him say, I've allowed him to fall in front of you, and he'll receive the same punishment because he's not been sent by me. He's a hireling. He simply is a mouthpiece for the people. That's what Paul writes and says that in, in the latter days, they'll heap up teachers for themselves that will satisfy their own itching ears. Uh, I want to hear this kind of doctrine. I remember I I had a guy tell me, I was down in Newport News, and uh, he's telling me the church he goes to, and he found out I was a pastor. He said, yeah, I like to, when I go to church, I just want a message that makes me feel really good every Sunday. Because I want to feel, when I get out of there, I want to be really uplifted. A lot of times, that is what's going to happen. But not every Sunday does God want to do that. Sometimes he's not there to lift us up, but to put us down on the ground, bowing down and repenting of things. What does he say in the middle of the passage? Repent and turn away. Jesus says how many times in in the letters of churches? Again and again and again. Repent, 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 repent. He's talking to the church. And the last thing, verse 11, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, Jesus is a shepherd. If a sheep strays, what does he do? He goes and brings the sheep back in. But the Lord wants to get to the place that the sheep don't stray anymore. They stay with the shepherd. That they won't be profaned anymore by all their transgressions. They won't be stained with guilt and shame and all those other things, but that my people, that they may be my people and I may be their God. If you're with us this Sunday in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you know how many times it said, our God, our God, our God. You know, when Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua is speaking there, um, you know, for his own house. Uh, but it's kind of neat that, you know, his, you know, the name Yeshua, Jesus, goes back to the name Joshua, Yahshua in the Old Testament. And you can, you can kind of see the picture also, that Jesus would be saying of his house, as for me and his house. If all of us are saved, we're actually, according to the New Testament, we are of the house of the Lord. We're actually, literally, we've been built up into a spiritual house. And instead of Joshua, it's Jesus, Yeshua. All those in his house 
will serve the Lord. Will. All those, if you really are of the, if you, you know, if you're of the spiritual framework of the house of Jesus, you actually will serve the Lord. And if we're really his sheep, we hear his voices. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. If we wander, he brings us back. If we're not his sheep, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If he doesn't, people say, well, I never get chastened by the Lord. Well, that's something to be concerned about. If someone were to say, I, I never get chastened. Whom he loves, he chastens. Why? Because he sanctifies his family. He cleanses the whole family. And he wants the whole family to be his people and his God. That's what he really wants. That's where peace is, not idolatry. What did John say to the very end of all that beautiful first letter? My little children, keep yourself from what? Idols. He's like, when it's all said and done, even though you're walking in harmony of the Lord, everything's going great. You love the Lord, Satan will give you a proposal, right? I'll close with, uh, you know, I've said for years, I, I do love the verse, every good and perfect gift comes from above. You guys all like that verse, every good and perfect gift from above. Um, but I maintain that not every gift is from above. It says every good and perfect gift. I have been presented in my life gifts that I knew were not from the Lord, and I had to say no to them. They were gifts. Because Satan can give gifts too, can't he? And he gave a lot of them to the children of Israel. Hey, Lot, I'll give you the job you want in Sodom. Six figures. Lots of time off. Lots of time to play around with all the other Sodomites. Abraham, what do you got? bunch of sheep. You can hang out here. It's dirty. It's dusty. Well, this must be from God then because it's a good gift, but it wasn't a perfect gift. That's the difference. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we know that uh, our hearts are the seed of, Lord, where our true affections lie, and we just ask, Father, we need your help. We need your grace. Lord, keep us from things Keep us, Lord, from those things that would take our eyes off of you. May our eyes be fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. And Jesus, we pray that we would fall more in love with you, not less, especially in these latter days, Lord, that we'll grow closer and closer to you, that we won't be deceived by the very slick marketing of the enemy to each individual person, Lord, but yet we would stand on the solid ground of your word. And we would be your people and you would be our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.